Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. You're listening to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network. I'm Mark Shaw, broadcasting live from New York City. I'm a certified life and business coach, and twice per month, I host Mark My Words, which is a life coaching-oriented show where I interview various people with inspiring life stories of overcoming adversity. I also speak with authors of great coaching-related books and programs, as well as many others who have great things to say. And sometimes I coach listeners who call in live on the air. So tune in the first and third Sunday of every month. So tonight is about leadership, respectful leadership to be more specific. Today more than ever, it's becoming increasingly important for companies to maximize profits and limit wasted effort and expense as we need to do more with less. Well, my guest tonight, Greg Ward, talks about the hidden gold for a company's bottom line that exists in the form of one of the simplest concepts known to man. It's something that in today's world we complain there isn't enough of anymore. Something we're taught as kids. In fact, many of us got reprimanded or slapped if we didn't display it while growing up. Something that leadership seems to have forgotten at times. And something Aretha Franklin sang about. I'm talking about respect. So, in his newest book... Greg Ward, in his newest book, The Respectful Leader, Seven Ways to Influence Without Intimidation, Greg discusses the riches that organizations can find in this basic time-tested practice. On his very first day of release, the editors at Amazon awarded the book Best Book of the Month, and it became an Amazon bestseller shortly afterwards. Greg is a celebrated executive and leadership coach who has served major corporations, uh, and governments in North America and Western Europe for over 35 years. I'm sorry, that's over 25 years. I just gave him 10 more years of experience than he already had, but he deserves it. He's also a longtime personal friend, colleague, and mentor of mine. Uh, and I'm really excited tonight that I get to have Greg on the show to introduce us to the powerful concepts within respectful leadership and how anyone can coach for respect. By the end of our time together, Greg will help us to see how respect and respectful leadership are proven success strategies of family, friends, colleagues, customers, and yes, even the bosses who could be a little bit more respectful themselves. Hello, Greg, and welcome to Mark My Words. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Ah, you're welcome. I'm delighted to, uh, delighted to have you. 
Uh, for listeners out there who would like to call in and participate and ask a question of Greg or me, please feel free to call in number here at the Mark My Words Radio Studio is 646-716-9397. That's 646-716-9397. And then, of course, there is the chat room if you're signed in and can see that. Uh, there's the chat room as well where you could also shoot some questions, although I prefer calling in. We'd like to hear your voice. So, Greg, welcome again to Mark My Words, and uh, I'm really excited to have you here. Congratulations on the new book and how well it's doing. Well, thank you very much. I must admit I'm a little shocked myself that it has done so well. I think that, as you mentioned, there's a crying need right now, not only in, in our workplaces, but all around in our lives for more respect. And uh, people seem to find the book to be right on target for their needs. Yes, certainly. And I mean, I, I loved it. I was, I was honored to have uh, you know, read your preview copy and given you some suggestions uh, along the way with it. And, and I just I thought it was great, the first draft. And then when it got published, even better. So, um, so really great, great job and, uh, and congratulations. So tell Thanks. us a little bit. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you how you got into the entire concept of respect as a leadership tool. Well, I actually have had many lives, and the short story is that I actually you and Morris the cat began, you had nine of them. I'm, yeah, I have at least nine, and <laughs> I began my work years and years ago when I was living in New York City as a professional actor, writer, director, producer, and theater. And i got to tell you, people in the theater business, we don't really get a lot of respect. Uh, most people, especially our parents, always say, when are you going to get a real job? And <laughs> so oh, they say that's a life coach too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> you know, but at, I like to think that life coaches like great theater can change lives. And so I found that I got pulled into a project uh, trying to help police officers, believe it or not, learn how to work with members of the public who were emotionally disturbed. And they had basically happened upon me as a professional actor, writer, director, producer, and they wanted to use professional actors in a training program. And they asked me if I could help them develop that program, and that's exactly what I did. And uh, that's sort of how I got my start, uh, doing training and using theater as a training tool. But I, I also found that uh, as I went through my life that it, it was challenging to, to, to find respect if you weren't already somebody who people perceived was due respect, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to respect people based on surface qualities or or what we call visible attributes like the uniform they wear or the, the, uh, the way they dress or the way they carry themselves, the way they speak. And they don't go below the surface and offer people respect for, you know, generally who they are as people. And so, um, I found myself in the, in that category too, uh, I, I, too, was disrespectful. When I was growing up, I was a smart-ass, a smart aleck. Um, and so I, I, I cannot imagine that. Come on. 
I think you can. <laughs> I'm still one in case you can't tell. Uh, uh, totally, totally. That's why I love you, man. <laughs> and, and that's what so many people love you for, too. <laughs> so, oh, thank you. you I know, hope so. I, I just, I absolutely. I just found throughout my life that, that the more and more I started working in corporations and with other kinds of people in leadership roles that, Respect was in short supply, and I realized that when you treat people with respect, a lot of good things happen as a result. And uh, I just started to focus more and more on respect, and I've really been working in that area for the last five to ten years. And I'm really glad to say that people are really realizing how effective and important respect can be. So that's kind of the short story, but along the way, I also was a, a freelance journalist, for the BBC and other UK media while I lived in Great Britain and traveled all over Western Europe. I saw the fall of the Berlin Wall, and uh, I interviewed uh, – do you mind if I tell you a quick story about Berlin when the wall came oh, down? Oh, sure. Uh, Absolutely. It's Considering we have another wall going up now in our own country, I think it would yeah. be refreshing to hear that. <laughs> well, well, as you know, Mark, I live in California, and there's talk about building a wall that runs from Mexico all the way up the, the California border, up to Oregon, up to Washington, and building a wall towards <laughs> the east. <laughs> so I, I was sent to Berlin in the fall of 1989 as a freelancer for BBC Radio and a couple of uh, UK magazines and newspapers to cover the fall of the wall, and my particular beat was the culture beat. And so I had my little cassette, my mini cassette radio that the BBC had issued me, not radio, um, recorder on my little strap on my back kind of thing. And I went around interviewing people and I was asking them, you know, are you looking forward to this? What do you think about this wall coming down? This is pretty amazing, isn't it? And the East Germans were totally overjoyed, just, just absolutely couldn't have been happier. But Mark, the West Germans were so anxious and upset and disrespectful. They would, a couple of them even spat on the ground and said, those are communists over there. We don't want them. And I suddenly realized this is a much more complicated thing than I ever thought it would be. I thought, hey, the wall comes down, reunification, this is a great thing. Well, not necessarily. And so there was a lot of disrespect uh, going on when the wall came down, and surprisingly so. So um, Mm -hmm. I actually picked up a piece of the wall uh, as a keepsake, and I still have it with me, and I carry it wherever I go. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I know that, it, you know, and and just so, because uh, a lot of my listeners might not know this, so Greg and I used to work together actually um, where where I was involved in the live theater, uh, the, the, the usage of the live training. theater. Uh, in our in training on diversity and various other workplace issues for for many many years, uh, so I'm well familiar with uh, with Greg's work. And I, I remember uh, on the on the whole respect thing about people coming together that are previously not uh, together, whether it's you know the wall or an organization that's coming together, merging two offices. I remember there was one time we were uh, we did one of our programs uh, where we I, I had gone to an organization that was merging two offices, one from an urban area and the other office in a very, 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 very rural area. And uh, there was a lot of disrespectful things being said on both sides. 
which is why we were called in to do the program, if you remember. And um, yep. because, you know, you had all the, the, the people that were in the rural area that are like, oh, my God, these big city people are coming. They're probably going to bring guns and trouble with them and drugs. And then you right. had the people from the, the, the city uh, that were going, oh, my God, I hope they've got running water down there and, you know, this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it was amazing. These people were going to be working together, but they, and they were adults, but they had to get past these basic respect for one another kinds of issues yeah. uh, in order so to be able to true. work together, you know. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I get you. So, so tell me a we little are, bit. We are very, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, we're very tribal. We're essentially – we, regardless of our national borders and, and all these other, you know, constructs that we put around us, essentially human beings are very tribal. And, and we like to stick in our tribes. And because of so much conflict over, you know, the centuries of human existence, we tend to be suspicious of other tribes. And, and right. so disres- disrespect is a kind of self-preservation uh, technique uh, but it's really, especially in today's uh, global environment and, and workplace and cultures, uh, it, it's so incredibly destructive. It, it works against us. Yeah, no, it really does. And, and I've always said this, too, in, in when I've done diversity training or even just in conversation about it, is that, you know, we are wired to be suspect of people who are different from us. Because, you know, back in in the day when you couldn't travel across the world, um, you couldn't travel very far at all. We just didn't have the means to do it. Um, chances are, if somebody who didn't look like you was in your proximity, they were a threat. Right? Yeah. So yeah. we're wired that way. Right. But now, as we've evolved um, and we travel and we intermix with people who are very different from one another, that that thing that had survival value back then uh, it, it's, there's many situations now that are much more complex where it doesn't serve us. Um, and uh, so teaching, teaching this kind of stuff can become uh, quite rewarding and, 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 and quite necessary. So tell us a little bit about what exactly is respectful leadership as, as a term. <laughs> Define that for me. Sure. The, the simplest way to think about it is I'm sure we all – grew up hearing about the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which is a fairly good thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we also have to remember what's called the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So it's kind of the Mm -hmm. golden rule and and the platinum rule combined together. Essentially, being a respectful leader has a number of fundamental practices to it and a kind of attitude towards others. Uh, I like to call it be respectful first, to be the first to respect. I, I always feel that leaders need to give people the benefit of the, of the doubt. Don't wait for them to respect you as a leader. Go ahead and give people, no matter who they are, all the way down mm-hmm. from the, the, the custodian in your building all the way up to you know, the CEO. Give people respect first. And generally what you'll find is people will respect you in return. There's a couple of mm-hmm. other practices involved that you and I learned as children, such as say good morning and say good afternoon and please and thank you. And I found that so many of us are so busy and we've got our heads buried down into our smartphones and we've got so much going on that we completely tune out 
to people who are around us, and we might walk around our offices just completely ignoring the people who are coming right at us as we're walking Right, it's funnier that the smarter our phones become, the dumber we become. That's exactly right. So I'm (laughs) telling leaders, I coach all leaders, be present, be there, say hello to people, engage with them. Don't just Mm -hmm. hide out behind your phone. And we we learned this as children. Just be pleasant. Say hello. What's the big deal? But um, right. a, a lot of leaders these days are feel like they're so swamped that they just can't do that. Uh, there yeah. are a couple of other practices involved, but but generally, it's uh, people say to me, "Oh, you just want people to be nice," and I said, "No, no, no, no. no. It's, 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 nice is okay. It's okay to be nice, but it's also." more important when it comes to respectful leadership to simply fundamentally recognize that if you treat others with respect, not only will you be respected, but generally speaking, they're going to be more motivated to want to work harder for you. And uh-huh. I, don't know a le- I don't know a leader who doesn't want that. I, I've never met one. So sure. if you treat people with respect, you're going to motivate them. That's That's the bottom line here. So in your in your book you talk about the concept of coaching for respect. So yes. what exactly is that? I mean obviously it's beyond just teaching people to be nice although I'm sure it involves quite a bit of reminding people of that. But uh, so what exactly is coaching for respect and how do you how do you achieve that? Right. Well, it's it very often in my work and I think you you as well. I might get a call from a head of human resources or legal and they'll say, "Well, We've got two people here who are really at each other's throats. They're being disrespectful to each other. It's impacting the workplace, blah, blah, blah. Can you work with them? And so I have a process in which I, uh, I, I go first to, to leadership and say, okay, what are your expectations of these people and what's going to happen if they don't change their behaviors and all that kind of stuff. And once I've gotten through that, then I start to work with them as individuals, the two people in question, and try to get down to some, some base-level understanding with them about a few simple concepts. Uh, one is this concept is you don't have to like someone to work with them. You may, you may have heard about – that's a very famous phrase. You don't have to like someone to work with them. But mm-hmm. all my research and all my work tells me that you actually do have to have some level of respect for them. And it's usually around three areas. It's it's either – their knowledge and experience, how long they've been with the organization, what they've learned and what they know, that's one area. The second is their skills and their talents, you know, what they bring to the workplace that, that really makes them effective. And the third thing that we respect in other people at work is the way they treat us and other people. And so once I get people to understand that usually respect is lost because of the way someone has treated us, that can sometimes become over and create such a sense of threat. You talk about threat, such a sense of antagonism and, and attack that the, the, feel, the negative feeling associated with feeling disrespected will trump, will override the respect for someone for their experience and the respect for their talents and skills. And so mm-hmm. my work is around coaching people to understand that the person who disrespected you that you feel so deeply and strongly offended by still has some inherent value and worth to the organization 
and I try to coach those in you if if you're if you're open to that coaching. Some people just don't want to be coached, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you know. They just don't want to hear right. it. So that's my first step is to get them to understand that, it, you know, the person that you're in combat with actually does bring something to the table at this organization. Now, you and I also know that there's such a thing as unwritable wrongs. And mm-hmm. if if someone feels so strongly that what was done to them was just an unwritable wrong, I actually go back to leadership and I say, I'm sorry, this situation cannot be resolved using my coaching for respect process. And I, mm-hmm. I pull away from the engagement. So it really takes mm-hmm. two people who are willing willing to engage, willing to, to own their stuff, willing to own that the other person has things that are worthy of respect and uh, perhaps offer apologies and uh, commit to ways of working together going forward. It's a process. It, it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It, it, fundamentally, what it depends upon is people's willingness to be coached and willingness to own their stuff. And sometimes that's very mm-hmm. hard for people to do. Sure. Does that explain sure. it for you? Yeah. Okay. No, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. And Great. and I understand that part of it is is based in uh, as we've talked about the concept of appreciative inquiry. Um, yes. Can you comment a little bit about that? Well. You know, I think the the whole appreciative inquiry movement began with Ken Blanchard, didn't it, long ago? I um, think so. He start, I think so, and I'm very proud to say that he is the top quote on the back of my book, and he says some very nice things about my book, and so I'm really proud of that. But but essentially, we as coaches, it's hard sometimes to uh, help people who are so stuck uh, to appreciate other perspectives and other points Mm -hmm. of of view. And and at the same time, we as coaches, we can't get pulled into their stuff uh, and and become become sucked into their way of seeing the world. We have to stay dispassionate and as much as we can objective. So we have to coach them. We have to ask them the right kinds of questions, which will open up perspectives in them that they may not necessarily see. And again, that's that's a skill that 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 takes time and effort, and it's it's not necessarily something we can learn to do overnight. Sure, sure, yeah. So, can you give us a brief synopsis of the story <laughs> uh, in in sure. your book, um, and 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 how it sort of uh, illustrates these concepts? Sure, I I wanted to not write yet another how-to book uh, because mm-hmm. there are some great how-to books out there, business business and leadership. But what I have found more than ever, uh, and this is, uh, this is about 15 years after my first book came out in 2002, which was totally a how-to book, what I found mm-hmm. is that these days people have very little time to read. But what they will read is a good cracking story. And so what, I, what I've done is I've, I've written a story about a fictional CEO of a fictional company uh, here in San Diego, where I'm based, who, uh, once he's been installed in that position, he's taking over a uh, he's taking over after the previous CEO had been let go by the corporate overlords that ran this company, and mm-hmm. he's been brought in as the new CEO. And very quickly, he finds out that his leadership team is engaging in really disrespectful not only uh, behavior, not only to each other 
but to uh, the employees and staff and even to customers. And so what he does, which is what a lot of leaders do, is he tries to command and control them and tell them, cut this stuff out. And he gets sucked right into their behavior, and he starts behaving just as disrespectfully as they do. And it all backfires horribly. People start quitting, and and they're in deep trouble with their customers. And he's very fortunate in that there's a little old lady who works in maintenance in this company. And she overhears him being a jerk. And she tells him respectfully, but in no uncertain terms, that the way he's going about trying to change things is not is obviously not working, and he needs to learn to try to uh, respect as a as a way of driving change in the company. And at first he blows her off and calls her crazy and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, things keep happening to him, and fortunately, she's around to kind of guide him a little bit. That eventually she becomes a bit of a mentor to him. And all she is. And I love how you so appropriately in, named her yeah. Grace. Grace. Her name is Grace. It's, and it's she's, a, she's a great character. She's really in his face, but she does it respectfully. And over time, she's able to coach him uh, to trying a new way to do it, and a new way to be a leader. And it's eventually the tenets of respectful leadership. And, and, and it, 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 things turn out. He's, he's able to turn things around, not without some pain, not without some serious uh, hard work, but he's able to turn things around. So that's the first part of the book. It's divided into two parts, and it you take you about an hour and a half, maybe two hours at most to read the first part. And then the second part is a little bit of an explanation of all the different concepts that fall under the heading of respectful leadership. And I like to say mm-hmm. that if you get on a plane and you fly from San Diego to, to Washington, D.C., it takes you about four and a half hours, you can definitely have read my book uh, from cover to cover and uh, get a thorough, thorough uh, grounding in what respectful leadership is all about. Great. Very cool. Very good synopsis. I mean, it, it actually, what I, what I really liked about it, too, was I, I loved the Grace character, and I really, I loved how it was. It felt like a very quick and easy read, um, yeah. yet it wasn't just commonsensical stuff that didn't teach me anything new, even though there was nothing new in it. It still the perspective was different and it was, you know, it, I mean, for me, I guess there was yeah. nothing new in it because, you know, I teach so much of this stuff, but um, I think even for people who teach this stuff, it's just a different perspective and a whole different flavor, yes. um, you know, and uh, really well done. Very Thank well you. done. People love, people love stories. And as you know, I came out of the theater. <laughs> I've been a storyteller all my life. And so mm-hmm. it, it, came really naturally. People often say to me, well, how long did it take you to write that book? And to be honest with them, I, I, it took me maybe four to six months from the time that I got uh, the, my proposal accepted to the time it, it was ready to, to go to print. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just able to crank it out. I mean, it's not a particularly long book, but um, I, I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, I think it's a cracking good story, and people have told me so. and gotten great reviews. I, I'm just – it was a life goal of mine to be published by a major publisher like Wiley, and uh, I'm really just uh, – I couldn't be happier with how it's gone. Uh, that's great. One of the things off your bucket list. <laughs> yep. So – Yep. Well, very good. Very good. 
Uh, so for viewers out there, the number to call if you'd like to talk to us live here on Mark My Words is 646-716-9397. And we're going to take a short break while I announce some of the great stuff that's available to you as a Mark My Words listener from our responsible our responsible. Listen to me. Our sponsor, Audible.com. So we'll be right back. Mark My Words is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our URL, which is audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio, you'll get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And there are some great titles that relate even to tonight's topic. Titles such as The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success, written by Jim Dedmer, Diana Chapman, and Kaylee Clamp. Fear drives most leaders to make choices that are at odds with healthy relationships, vitality, and balance. This fear leaves a toxic residue that won't be as easily tolerated in an increasingly complex business environment. Conscious leadership offers the antidote to fear. These pages contain a comprehensive roadmap to guide you to shift from fear-based to trust-based leadership. Once you learn and start practicing conscious leadership, you'll get results in the form of more energy, clarity, focus, and healthier relationships. And you'll do more and more of what you're passionate about and less of what you do out of obligation. Your team will get results as well. Drama and gossip will all but disappear, and the energy and resources that fuel them will be redirected towards innovation and creativity. Again, that's the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, a new paradigm for sustainable success by Jim Debner, Diana Chapman, and Kaylee Clamp. And now back to Mark My Words with certified life and business coach, Mark Shaw. And we're back here for the second half of Mark My Words. And we're talking with Greg Ward. Greg Ward is uh, the author of an amazing book on respectful leadership. And um, we're talking about the concept of the book and the hidden gold that it teaches organizations uh, to find uh, in the form of respect in its leadership style. So, uh, so Greg, you, I'd love for you to tell the story a little bit uh, about uh, how the car accident that you had as a teenager and how that taught you the concept of respect as a motivator. Yes. I was, um, and we were joking a little bit before, uh, but it was true. I was a very arrogant, self-full-of-himself uh, teenage guy, and um I um, had a bit of an attitude towards authority. I had a bit of an attitude even towards my peers. I just thought my poop didn't stink. And uh, I also had a wonderful girlfriend, and she and I worked at a restaurant together. And one night uh, in uh, my senior year of high school, uh, she and I did a double shift and uh, decided to drive home together in my car um, and we had come to a uh, T-junction, and if I had turned left, I could uh, take a nice brightly lit boulevard all the way home, or if I turned right, 
I could drive an unlit road, twisty, winding through the woods. And I decided I'm driving a hot sports car that I'm going to drive through the woods. And we were singing Billy Joel on the FM radio and being madly in love. And I was so in love that I didn't pay attention to the road. And I went off the road and I hit a telephone pole and Michelle was torn from the car. And I uh, had a lot of trouble finding her in the dark. I was screaming. And uh, when I did find her, I realized that she was gone. And I kind of lost my mind. Uh, I went very, very insane. Uh, I don't know how long I was screaming and running around like a lunatic. Uh, Eventually, the police showed up, and they put me back in the back of their squad car. And I thought, if I can get one of their guns, I can um, kill myself. And I uh, didn't obviously do that. And I heard a, a voice in my head. And the voice was my own voice, and it said, Greg, well, you have a choice here. You can either figure out a way to get through this, or you can let it ruin your life, and, and you know, you choose. Well, I didn't, I didn't really know how I was going to get through this, and, but I was very, very fortunate in that uh, I wasn't blamed for um, my mistake. Uh, I was given love and trust and, and respect, Although my own self-respect went through the floor, I hated myself, mm-hmm. I loathed myself. And uh, fortunately, I had family and friends, even Michelle's uh, family, uh, gave me love and respect. And over time, I began to come out of it, and I was a completely different person. It, it changed me utterly. And if it had not been for the respect I was given and the trust and the love and the caring that I was given, I I do not feel that I would have uh, ever come through it a, a whole person. I, I just don't think that that would have happened. And uh, it set me on the path of, of where I am today in a, in a funny way. Uh, all my life has been a search for respect and for self-respect and for trying to generate respect in other people. Uh, I'm not perfect, that's for sure, and um, sometimes I really, I can be pretty disrespectful. Uh, I think I'm getting better at it as I get older. I'm learning to breathe more deeply. I'm learning to um, get myself together. Uh, In my book, it's one of the respectful leadership practices that I call get your shift together. Get your emotional Mm -hmm. shift together, and and, uh, don't let your emotions run you. And uh, run other people, you know, try and get yourself under control and focus yourself. And that's one of the practices of respectful leadership. And I've been trying to do that all my life. And I think I'm finally getting a little bit better at it. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's, Great. that's that wow. story. And, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, what a story. And yeah. I, I imagine that as you teach stuff about being a respectful leader, sharing that story is probably a pretty powerful moment in your seminars and workshops. Um, it that is. kind of wakes people up to the importance of, of respect and the value of respect. Yes, it, it, it is. Um, I do a lot of keynote speaking, and that is uh, one of the stories that I tell, usually fairly early on in my keynote. Uh, because uh, a lot of people come to the keynote and they think, what's this guy going to talk about respect? Well, you know, what, what, what does that matter? 
And once I tell that story, people really sit up and they realize, wow, wow, respect mm-hmm. is very important. It does motivate people. It does make enormous difference in people's lives. And uh, so, you know, if I can make a difference in somebody's lives by telling that that really sad and horrible story, um, then that's okay. That's Because I never, mm-hmm. I, when you and I first met, Mark, you, you know me, I never told anybody that story. I, I right. didn't have the courage. To, I didn't have the courage to share it. But I realized through some coaching, partly from your coaching later on, you encouraged me. You said, you know, that's such a, a key moment in your life, and led and supports in what you try to do. You need to tell that mm-hmm. story. I remember you coaching me on that quite a quite a long time ago. So I, mm-hmm. um, I am, I'm very blessed that you did that because it it helped me decide to go ahead. Mm. I'm glad to hear that, yeah. and thanks for uh, yep. for recalling that for me and uh, uh, reminding me of the impact that had. Um, because yeah, it's it's really powerful. And I remember when you shared it with me for the first time, and I was like, "Wow, I'd known you a long time, and I never knew that." Um, right. And it was just it just sounded like something that's so needed to be told. So I'm I'm just I'm really glad that you've found a place to do that uh, and a way to do that that it really impacts uh, it impacts others. Um, in such a positive way, you had said that uh, that you had mentioned in the story that that was one of the practices, daily pra- practicing respectful leadership, uh, that you outline in your book. And uh, I understand there are several more. Can I ask you to share what some of those are? What are the other practices? Sure. And, uh, mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Um, the one I mentioned was to get your shift together. And which mm-hmm. is kind of a little play on words. I think you all you, you know what I what, what we're talking about <laughs> there. <laughs> but um, another one that I I really want leaders to understand is they they have to nip disrespect in the bud. Which means, sure, you know people play around, they tease each other in the workplace, they say things, they they make these offhand comments. And sometimes they can be pretty disrespectful and cutting and backstabbing and infantile and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> because so many of us are conflict-averse, we don't say anything. And we let it go. We think, eh, it's no big deal. It won't make a big difference. Well, it actually does make a difference. And people mm-hmm. do get affected by disrespectful little remarks and cutting behavior. So what I urge leaders to do is when they – observe people behaving disrespectfully, they need to take those people aside and they need to nip it in the bud. They basically need to give them a little feedback, say, you know, you might not be aware of it, but little remarks like that have a significant impact over time on how people behave. And the the last thing I think you would want, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt, the last thing you would want is people feeling that you're a disrespectful jerk and uh, because nobody's going to want to work with you. And so what I encourage you to do is go apologize to that individual, uh, do it sincerely, do it fully, and don't engage in it again. And and that's what I try to get leaders to do. Uh, Some of them see the value in that. uh, Others don't. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I think it's an absolute imperative practice for leaders to nip disrespect in the bud. Another one I want to talk about is when leaders are disrespectful themselves, they need to apologize for disrespect. And Mm -hmm. what we see a lot is leaders are very, very uncomfortable apologizing. 
there's there's a lot of research out there that contradicts what many leaders feel. They feel that if they apologize, they're perceived to be weak. Well, what the research seems to indicate that if a leader apologizes for clearly a disrespectful act, and they do it in a way that I call a full apology, and there's a number of steps involved with full apology having to do with taking ownership and not mm-hmm. making any excuses. You know, Ryan mm-hmm. Lochte, remember during the Olympics last year, Ryan Lochte got involved in that whole thing where he made up yes. of, that he was robbed at gunpoint and all that. It turns out he and his buddies were drunk and, and they busted up a bathroom or something like that. And he made right. up this whole story. And finally, when he got caught, he made an apology and he, he, he said, I'm sorry that that happened, but, but when you're faced with a gun and threatened, you do weird things. And it's just like, dude, you just took away all the sincerity. You just made excuses for why you were a jerk. And so right, it's sure. really important that a le- yeah, as a leader, you, if you've made a mistake, if you were disrespectful, go to the individual and say, you know what? I did it. I own it. I make no excuses. In fact, I know it hurt you and it was inappropriate of me. It will not happen again. And I hope you'll let me make it up to you. And That's what's a important apology. there. Yeah. What's yeah. important there too, is that it really be a sincere apology and not the sort of what I call the politician's non-apology. Where they're yes. like, I'm sorry if I may have hurt anybody with my unintentional actions or unintentionally right. hurt somebody with my actions, right? right? right. And it's like they're not really taking right. ownership or I'm sorry you felt hurt by that as opposed yep. to yep. I'm sorry that I did something that hurt. That's right. right? And that's, that's, exactly a, that's right. a key difference. They're using if, uh, the word if, it's a weasel word. You're trying to weasel your way out of it. You're also mm-hmm. uh, saying, I'm sorry if you were offended. In other words, uh, some people aren't offended, but you were. You're too sensitive. I hear that a lot. Oh, people are just mm-hmm. too sensitive. And uh, my response is, stop being too much of a jerk. How about that? And yeah. so it, it, it goes both ways. Now, what the research, I mentioned the research, what the research tells us is that leaders who sincerely and fully apologize for being disrespectful find that if they don't ever engage in that behavior again, the, the level of respect for them as leaders actually goes up. It's mm-hmm. amazing. People are so mm-hmm. afraid to apologize because they're afraid of looking weak. Well, the reality is an apology can often make you look strong and respectful and decent. And isn't that what we want as leaders? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It you know, it's it, it's like uh it's like the buck stops here. You know, it's like look, it yeah. stops with me and I'm the one that owns responsibility for this. You know. Um yep. as opposed to, you know, blaming others or saying, Yeah, that's something that I inherited, um and I'm trying to clean it up. It's like, you know what, the buck stops with me. I'm accountable. Um and it's on me. And I take it and I own yep. it. And and what do you need from yep. me to clean it up? And then clean exactly. it up. Exactly. And then clean it up. That's right. Yeah, because you right. know what I have found in my work, and I'm sure you have in yours, is that people get more upset with somebody trying to avoid responsibility for what they've done than they do with the thing that's that you've done. That's what they actually did. Yeah. Yes, that's so true. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of respectful leadership is never try to fight disrespect with more disrespect. 
Mm-hmm. This happens in the in public space. You know, you'll be driving along, and by mistake, you you try to shift lanes, and you don't see somebody in your blind spot, and they they honk their horn at you, and you quickly move back into your lane, and then they come next to you and they flip you the bird. And what are you thinking about doing? You're going to flip the bird right back. Well, it doesn't de-escalate the situations. In fact, it escalates the situation. And, and it makes it a more dangerous situation on the road. Yeah. Right. Sure. As, yeah, absolutely. So what mm-hmm. I try to coach leaders to do is, look, if people are going to behave disrespectfully, it happens. That's just the way it is. And if they're disrespectful to you, the best you can do is take a deep breath and find an appropriate, respectful response. Ideally, just you, 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 you usually cannot reason with someone who's being openly disrespectful to you. Right. You can't do that. But no, you you've can, got to wait until the situation at least passes yes. before you can start to get there. But in the meantime. Exactly. In the meantime, you take some deep breaths. You might want to deflect for a moment. And, and say something like, "Well, looks like we've got ourselves a, a pretty tense situation here. Let's uh, let's just take a deep breath, and uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away. Uh, I I, mm-hmm. I encourage leaders to walk away when they, when they've come upon someone who's being disrespectful to them. Walk away. Do not confront them. Do not disrespect them back. Do not try to shout them down or command them to be respectful. It, it's generally not not going to work. It's going to get worse. Now there is a caveat, Mark." In the military, this is appropriate. You can command and control someone, and that goes for firefighting and police situation. When there's lives at stake, sometimes you as the leader have to step in and you have to command someone to stop being the way they're being. Yes. But yes. Most, yeah. In, in most fact, you know, in you, know who, situations. you know who gave me an amazing insight on that, uh, somebody that you and I both know, from the training that you and I had both done uh, at the Navy uh, many, many years ago. Yep. Um, and your our friend, yep. the captain, who, um, yep. you know, I remember I had said almost exactly that because we were talking about communication skills. And I said something to the effect of, you know, in the military it's a little different because, you know, when you say jump, the only appropriate answer is how high. Um, right. And the captain stood up and he goes, you know what, Mark, I need to disagree with that. And I was real, I was not expecting that. I thought I was about to score major brownie points by knowing the environment, you know. <laughs> and he says, no, I need to differ with that. He said, in an emergency life and death situation, yes. He said, but all of the other interactions where we're not actually in a combat situation, the relationships and the respect and the communication become so important because that's what creates the, the, the ground of trust so that in an emergency situation, when I do tell you to jump, you have no qualms about asking me how high and doing what I said. Whereas if you don't trust me and you've learned to question my <laughs> intentions, you're going to have a split second of hesitation that can mean the difference between life and death, and we can't afford that. That was so profound for me. I've never forgotten that. Yep. And how many years ago was yep. that? That must have been at least 15 years ago. So at least 15 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that makes so a lot is, of sense. It, is a, it does make a lot of sense. And, and, you know, a lot of us are not working in the military or police or firefighting, uh, and we're working in offices. Right. Uh, or mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're working in small groups. We're telecommuting. We're, you name it, we're doing it, but it's not necessarily life or death situations all the time. 
And, right. and as leaders, we ha- we, it, it behooves us to not try and command and control people because all of the research tells us that most people do not like to be commanded and controlled and be told right. you must be respectful. In fact, if you tell people you must be respectful, generally they will go the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, because they feel that they're being disrespected by being told what to do. That's right. You know. That's exactly and, right. Uh, That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have a, a, a funny story. I just told this in a in a in a class the other day. Uh, it has to do when you gave the example about you know you cut somebody off or they cut you off and you give each other the finger and whatnot. So many years ago, and this had to be what I've been living in Manhattan twenty twenty one years now. So this had to be maybe twenty two twenty three years ago <clears throat> when I was living just north of, of New York City in Yonkers. I was driving down the Henry Hudson Parkway to come into the city to hang out with friends one evening, and I had that typical situation um, on, on the highway uh, where some guy cut me off, and then he gave me the finger like it was my fault, right? So I gave him, so I did the, I did the same thing. I sped up to catch up to him, and I gave him the finger, right? And uh, and then we just kind of went on a merry, merry ways, feeling better. So about I don't know six hours later now, it's like you know two in the morning. And I'm going back up to Henry Hudson Parkway to go back up to Yonkers. And this car pulls up alongside me, and it looks a little familiar, and so does the guy in it. And it's the same guy that I had the altercation with hours and hours before, completely coincidentally. There we are on the highway going back the same way. So I just kind of laughed and smiled, and he caught that, and he smiled and laughed. And we just kind of waved. And then as he, he got in front of me when we were about to go over, there used to be a toll there on whatever the, I think it's the Manhattan Bridge. What bridge is that up there? Anyway, it connects uh, the, the Bronx, I think, um, or Westchester George, County. George, to the Washington, Bronx. George Washington Bridge. No, that right? goes into Jersey. That goes into Jersey. Oh, okay. Now it goes to, All right. It's uh, the Henry Hudson Bridge maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so I go through there, and there's a toll there. He goes in front of me, and I see him hand something to the toll collector. And I pull up, and the toll collector says, the gentleman in front of you paid your toll and wanted me to give you this. (laughs) (laughs) And it was his business card, and on the back it said, you are too cute to be straight, and left his phone number. (laughs) (laughs) I am not making this up. I am not making this up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, I, so I called him, and we had a phone call. I don't remember if we actually met and went out or if we just had a phone conversation, but it was really lovely. And I was like, so what happened that night? Did, did I cut you off? Did you cut me off? He goes, oh, who knows? Who even cares? Sorry about the middle finger. I'm like, yeah, I am too. <laughs> it's like that's the that's way these things story. should all come to a, you know, should all come yeah. to an end in these altercations. Yeah when we're yeah. willing to kind of look at ourselves and laugh and go, you know what, there's just a much better way to be in the world than the way we were just being. It is so true. You know? And and part of part of what I, I often find when I've been asked to coach people who are in a disrespectful relationship is that yeah. they really didn't mean it when it when it happened. It just happened, they reacted, they behaved in a way that they're actually quite ashamed of but they don't know how to make it right. And mm-hmm. and so instead of trying to make it right, instead of going to get coaching or help or some kind of guidance, 
they just kind of avoid and they bury their head. And the other person who felt disrespected just sees that through, you know, their lens of confirmation bias. They go, look, that person's avoiding me and they're disrespecting me and they keep disrespecting me. And that's how these things just kind of bubble out of control. And so I I find that a lot of what I, yeah, what what I'm trying to coach them to come together it's it's owning their stuff, and once they start to own their stuff, and once they start to apologize, the the dam opens, and we make real progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I know when I've coached uh, a lot of the corporate environment, and there's these interpersonal conflicts because of this thing that happened two years ago, right? Um, yep. And yep. you know, and it's like, and it's so in their way. And then, you know, just in one session or two, uh, you know, you talk about it with the client and you get them to the point where they just open up at least to you about it and they begin to see how silly is it that this is in the way. And it's so beautiful when you can get those two people to really shift it themselves, right, to get their shifts together, as you would say, to really shift it inside themselves and find that place you know, with our support as coaches, to be able to have that conversation that really heals it and, and, and moves them on from it in most cases. Um, yeah. And it's, it's now, a really there, beautiful there process. Occasionally are, there occasionally are those sociopaths who there's just <laughs> yeah. nothing, nothing, doesn't matter who you are, what you say, it's not going to make a difference. And, and that's our job is to figure out who those people are. And I have... Uh, this happened recently. I was asked to engage with two uh, very senior leaders. Uh, these were two institutions that were working together in a partnership, and one they didn't respect each other at all. And one of them was willing to work on it, but the other uh, claimed that they were willing to work on it, but after a couple of sessions it became pretty clear that they, they were just saying the right things, but they really weren't willing to engage and try to make this work out. So I went back to the leadership and I said, I'm really sorry. I take it as far as it can go. I can't help mm-hmm. anymore in this situation. I wish you luck. And they were kind of surprised. And I said, look, you've got one party here who just is refusing to accept that there are things in the other that are worthy of respect. And the same party is unwilling to accept how their own behavior has negatively impacted the relationship. So I can't, I, I can lead that horse right. to water, but I can't make him drink, and I'm really sorry. And yeah. that's, sometimes we just have to do that. Well, that's what we both know as coaches. The people have to be willing and wanting to move past it and willing to let go. They do. Uh, willing to yeah. let go of being right. Yeah. And, and that could be very, very difficult depending on what the hurt is, you know, that was caused. Yep. And uh, yep. that's why I consider it such a gift to be able to do this work and, and help and help those that can get past it get to that point where their lives just take it's a whole so different true. direction as a result of that. It's so true. Um, yep. So that's that's really great. That's really great. So we've got nip it in the bud, get your shifts together, apologize when you're disrespectful as the leader, and never try to fight disrespect with more disrespect. Those are four yes. of the tips. Um, and the rest are in your book. We're, we're about out of time. So um, we're just going to have to tell everybody that they need to buy your book in order to see what the other <laughs> tips are. <laughs> um, and I do recommend it. And, again, the name of the book is The Respectful Leader, Seven Ways to Influence Without Intimidation by Greg Ward. And um, 
We'll uh, we'll come back to Greg in just a minute to uh, to say our final good night and just get a final comment from him. But first, I uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about one of my upcoming shows on April second before we wrap up this evening uh, and before we get Greg's uh, final thoughts. And I'll tell you what you can expect on some of our other upcoming shows here on the Life Coach Radio Network over the next few weeks um, and few days. So my next show is two weeks from tonight, and I'll be doing an encore replay of a previously aired fabulous and wonderful program. Two weeks after that will be my next live broadcast, and that's going to be on April 2nd. And I'm delighted to present How to Have a Political Discussion Without Talking Politics. I'll be interviewing a man by the name of Charlie Rebick. He's a mindfulness and communications coach who's starting a movement. Uh, and it's kind of relevant to some of the things we've talked about tonight, actually. It's a movement to help counter and undo the divisiveness that we live with day to day in our country. I met Charlie on a teleseminar he did where he taught techniques to enable us to, enable us to have these difficult discussions. And I was so impressed uh, that I reached out to him and I invited him to come on the show. So join me on April 2nd for that exciting broadcast. You can sign up to receive announcements about Mark My Words by joining my email list at markmywordsradio.com. And then just click on Home, and then click on the Subscribe to my free newsletter button above my picture. And you can also set up an auto-reminder at blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork. Just go there and scroll to the next episode of Mark My Words and click the blue reminder button so that you won't miss it. And we also have some more great programs coming up on the Life Coach Radio Network's four sister stations. Yes, we actually have four sister stations. We've got the Life Coach Radio Network, which you're listening to right now, the Life Coach Chat Channel, Life Coach TV Network, and our newest addition to the family, the Power Network, which is a network dedicated to talking about issues of race in this country. All of our shows are hosted by my awesome colleagues here at the Life Coach Radio Network's team of talented coaches, all dedicated to making your life just a little bit more of what you want it to be. So you can check out all of the action at lifecoachradionetworks.com. That's lifecoachradionetworks.com. And don't forget the S at the end of that, lifecoachradionetworks.com. So, uh, so Greg, if people wanted to get in touch with you, buy your book, hire you to work with them and their organization, um, how can they do that? Easiest way to buy the book is you can find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. You can also go to, go to my website, respectfulleader.com. That's all one word, respectfulleader.com. And you can also get in touch with me by going to my company's website, which is gregwardgroup.com. And Greg is spelled with three Gs, G-R-E-G-G, ward, W-A-R-D, group.com. Great. And if you missed that, if you go to markmywordsradio.com and see the blurb about tonight's show, uh, you'll actually see those links posted there uh, as well. So, uh, so great. So, Greg, what would be your parting thoughts for tonight? What would you say is the, maybe the one grand overriding message that you'd like for <laughs> listeners to take away for tonight? <laughs> I would say be the first to respect no matter who anyone is, no matter their rank nor their status, it doesn't matter. Treat them with respect because you'll usually get respect right back at you. Well, thank you. 
Greg Ward, everybody, author of The Respectful Leader, Seven Ways to Influence Without Intimidation. Greg, thank you. This has been a really great interview. And um, again, I encourage folks to go and check out Greg's book. And uh, Greg, thank you so much. It was really wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, as I invite you to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, just go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. If you'd like to follow the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, just visit us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork, and then click on the follow button. Also, visit our website at www.lifecoachradionetworks.com and learn about all of our networks. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. You can listen to Mark My Words live on the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as listen to any previous show from my archives at markmywordsradio.com and on iTunes by searching Mark My Words. I look forward to speaking with you all again next time. Thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night.